0: Welcome to the TF Blockchain Podcast, where we interview blockchain, Bitcoin, and cryptocurrency innovators actively building products and platforms in this emerging technology. I'm your host and founder of TF Blockchain, Jonathan G. Blanco. TF Blockchain hosts conferences and monthly events in cities across North America with chapters in Seattle, Portland, Vancouver, Austin, and San Francisco. Our next conference, TF4, will be on November 14th in Seattle. For more information about our monthly chapter events, starting a chapter in your city, or our TF4 conference on November 14th, please visit us at tfblock.io. Wanted to let you know about our recently announced TF Labs, a blockchain and product strategy studio. At TF Labs, we are working with companies through corporate innovation to establish their blockchain product strategy and also building blockchain focused startups internally. To get involved or for more information, please visit us at tflabs.io. Is that ArcBlock originally before? Let, let me let me get this recorded because you're saying good things. No, no, right. this is just an intro. This is oh. a free intro. Yeah. <laughs> you no,
1: know, Jonathan's doing great stuff. Actually, what I was gonna say is, is ArcBlock originally was founded as a knowledge sharing company, and a lot of what Jonathan's doing is actually knowledge sharing and and helping people. Um, share information about blockchain about experiences about uh use cases uh so for us this is actually something somewhat personal um you know we like to talk about things that are actually happening in the industry and i actually uh had a good opportunity there's a few people back here i just listened to people talking about their use cases and things that are happening and in fact those are all perfect use cases and real things that are actually happening and so it was uh it was actually pretty cool to hear and listen to so from my perspective
0: cool cool well, uh, with that, I'm gonna just do a quick little intro to we're doing this as a podcast and then um, we'll, we'll go ahead and get started. Uh, so welcome Portland, thank you so much for coming to our TF blockchain uh, Portland edition. Uh, please please welcome Matt McKinney, uh, head of marketing for ArcBlock. Give him a round of applause, please. Thanks
1: everybody. So, and, and most of you may not know so So ArcBlock's actually based in Bellevue, um, but I'm actually from Hazel Dell. So right across the water here, I'm a, a local resident. And so it's actually, I, on my way down, I dropped my kids off at my parents' house and it was uh, a, a, nice, a nice day for myself actually. So I, I uh, appreciate it having the opportunity. And uh, I apologize to someone that Robert wasn't able to attend. So he's dealing with a little bit of an illness, but uh, fortunately I was able to attend and, and appreciate the chance to come and meet with everybody.
0: Nice, nice. Well, thank you so much for coming down here. Um, Yeah, we had a chance to meet, uh, I guess it was last year and and kind of been talking and working on different things uh, since then. Um, I love, you know, before we get into the blockchain space, if you could just give us a little introduction, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you kind of get into technology to begin with?
1: Yeah, technology. I think we, I think um, everybody has a connection to technology. So, so my background, um, you know, a long time ago, I I worked at the first online brokerage company in the U.S., a company called ShareBuilder, which was actually based in Bellevue. It was the first online company to go 100% paperless. Um, Which at the time, you know, nowadays it sounds kind of funny to say that, but back then it was like incredibly innovative and and, uh, there was a lot of work that actually went into that and so I had the opportunity to work with a lot of the banks, credit unions all across the country, um, doing online services, online investing and the so called $4 a month stock trade that became all the rage that pretty much everybody now uses. Um, and from there, I actually moved into the infrastructure business. So I, I moved from the online investing to cloud infrastructure, VMs, you know, VMware, Microsoft, Azure, you name it. I've, I've, I've probably uh, interacted, w- interacted with it um, and doing that really on a global level um, and then made my move. I, I got a real passion for n- not necessarily crypto, but blockchain. Um, one of the things I, I was in particular very interested in is I felt that blockchain was ready or needed more product people uh, in the industry. And uh, one of the things I, I spent quite a bit of time doing is trying to find a company that actually was working towards real products, building real things. And when I say real things, I don't mean gambling apps um, or anything that they're related. Um, but what I mean is people who are solving real problems and actually doing doing things for real companies. Um, so I had the opportunity to meet with Robert and ArcBlock And I joined the company about, about a year and two months ago. So it's um, in dog years, it's been about ten years, I think, <laughs> since I joined the company. But uh, it's been uh, it's been quite an adventure. And in fact, anybody who you know was around cloud ten years ago, fifteen years ago, you know, it's basically the same experience. Everything is at at, at hyper speed at this point, and, and innovation is happening in real time. So the minute you think you're comfortable in the blockchain industry, somebody's already coming out with something that's two steps beyond what you're doing. And so it's um, From a technology standpoint it's it's there's a lot of innovation happening uh, but more importantly i think from the product side is now you're starting to finally see real products start to happen real innovation happening for users for you know practitioners uh, people who actually need the systems to work Um, so for me it's a it's an interesting time to to be in the industry
0: yeah awesome so uh real quick i forgot to say this to everybody but i want to invite everybody and welcome them to take as many pictures as you'd like um, you can tweet at us at, at TFBlockchain. What's your Twitter handle?
1: Uh, it's uh, ArcBlock underscore IO.
0: Arcblock underscore yeah. IO. Please uh, you know, tweet about it, um, post on your LinkedIns and so forth. Uh, so So Matt, you're talking about product. You're mm-hmm. speaking my language. You know I love talking about product. Um, I, I totally agree with you. Um, there's even still today, there's a lack of, of product thought uh, with a lot of companies. Uh, I think we're seeing a lot of the companies that are finding success have um, really started to gravitate and think through products or Mm -hmm. like what uh, an actual product offering would be. Uh, I just love to just dive a little bit deeper into that. So give me some examples of, um, I guess, what's not working. uh, What are the, you know, that that drew your attention to this and and let's solutionize together.
1: Yeah, of course. So so quick question. How many people here are actually in the blockchain industry? Anybody? A couple? Yeah, two, three, and uh, and I think that's 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 one part right there, right? is we're all still kind of learning and getting into it. So, uh, just a quick step back, and I hope you guys understand. So, Ark when I when I talk about products, so ArcBlock really from day one has been designed. It's a, originally was developed it's a um, developer application platform. So I can come and build decentralized applications. I can build custom blockchains. And do all the things that developers need to do to build you know the services or the functions that that uh, you would need for a product. Um, The other part of that within ArcBlock and part of what it's always appealed to me is that ArcBlock is really the first company that viewed blockchain from a kind of a a 360 degree view or more of an end to end uh, interaction and what I mean by that is that not only do we look at the developers but we actually look at the users uh, and how they actually interact with the things that we're building. Um, and for me, that was always a, an important milestone or important step that actually happened. So it's one thing to build, hey, I built, you know, I, I've got this interconnected blockchain network. I can run a thousand networks, you know, a thousand blockchains. But again, how do people use it, right? How do how do companies actually interact with that? How do they leverage that technology? Same with decentralized identity. You know, we hear a lot about decentralized identity in the out there in the space right now. It's a fun thing to talk about. It's a fun. Right? Th- it's very hot, right? And and blockchains the same. A lot of companies want it, but right? who's actually doing
0: it right? Or who's, who's actually doing it? Period.
1: That's right. Right, and, uh, and so identity is a funny one because I, I, I mentioned to somebody earlier, I, I have personal experience in, in decentralized identity and the, the reason being, um, I was hacked, you know, Equifax, Primera, you, know, you go through the list, I, I think five or six hacks over the last three years. Um, of my data, right? So when we talk about decentralized identity, I say, hey, you know what? That's actually pretty important to me because I've been on the other end of that and my response, or usually what happens is that I, I have no outlet for that. It's just like, nah, too bad, right? You're, you're out of luck, right? I'll give you some free credit monitoring and go on your way, right? You're, you're good. And um, so from Markbox perspective, one of, again, one of the things we're trying to do is to really look at, you know again, how people interact with these things. And, and from a product standpoint is that, again, as you, as you build a decentralized application, I think, you know, the first question you would ask is, well, of course, what is a decentralized application? Right. Is that a, you know, something is it like an app I use on my iPhone? Is it a desktop app? Is um, it in fact decentralized? Is it in fact decentralized? And I think what you'd find is probably today, 85 percent of applications are not decentralized. Right. They, they may leverage blockchain, uh, but decentralize it. You know, decentralization is more of a kind of a it's a concept. It's an idea. Um, but tied with that, um, it's very difficult to implement a truly decentralized solution uh, because of the way that even today the the applications are built and part of that has to do with if you look at um, i think one of the one of the the big elements of that is infrastructure right infrastructure today is designed it's it's azure it's aws it's ibm they're all very centralized right in terms of what they do so in order to run an app how do most people run apps today well they run it in the cloud right so to now move in to say okay now we're going to run a decentralized application how does that actually work in AWS? Because it's completely decentralized, de-centra- right? Same with Azure. Um, and so these are the things we're thinking about, is how, how for example, can I create an application that um, I can run it in Azure, but in fact, I can create my own virtual network and run it in Aldi Cloud, Huawei Cloud, AWS, IBM, and I have no limitations as to where I wanna put it. I'm not tied to one particular piece of infrastructure. In fact, I can create my own, my own network. Uh, when I do that so these are these are from a product standpoint. It's a it's an interesting solution to uh, to work through so So let's 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 think of
0: what the ideal decentralized product would look like What what, what does that look
1: like? A Decentralized identity wallet, okay, would be my uh, my first which of course arc block has built one already and um, the the premise behind that and, and and again, I think where where we look at the power of blockchain or the power of decentralization is it's it's who owns what, right? And that's a big question. And you know a lot of companies today aren't necessarily willing to give up what they own. Um, so in some cases, you know, it's kind of like you know when when companies went from hosting all their data in their own data centers to now we're cloud first, right? So now we're starting to see well we're moving from cloud first to decentralized first, right? When what that but what that actually means is that you're now putting ownership into somebody else's hands or you're putting the the responsibility into another party. And so the decentralized identity wallet is the the first time I think in a while where you have something that empowers the users to control kind of everything that's actually happening while also being able to interact with everything that we know, right? Right, everybody
0: uses that use case of, hey, like you need to know that I
1: am above 21, but you don't need to know my birthday. That's right, that's right. So imagine this, and and this is a, you know, decentralized, the decentralized identity wallet is it's not just so one caveat to this. So our decentralized identity wallet, it doesn't do crypto. So I'll just mention that up front. And that's a, an important kind of deviation from the normal because most wallets you see, you know, if you look at uh, um, I, I can't even tell you all the names. I mean, there, there's 100 out there, right? There's Kobo Meow, and, and, and a bunch of others. Their focus is, hey, you know what? I've got you can manage 800 tokens in my wallet. Right. And I'm like, OK, that's great. So but but so so
0: yeah, let's touch on that for a second, because If we're talking about productization Mm -hmm. of real world use cases Mm -hmm. um, and mass adoption, most of the people in this room don't need a decentralized identity wallet to be able to handle 800 tokens. That's right. Right. That's right. They need it for identification purposes that's right and what that involves
1: yeah and it's it's a it's a matter of control I mean uh, the example I I often give people when I sit in a room is I say you know how do you feel when you ride an airplane and someone else has control I get you know I personally get a little bit uncomfortable right because I, I have a bit of a control issue right and and uh, identity for me is somewhat, it's a similar concept, right? Because fact, I'm, per- I'm perfectly okay with someone else driving, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> flying the plane. Well, it's, it's more, it's I'm more, scared. it's more, I know where you, you're going with this. Or if you ride like, in yeah, yeah. a car or something, yeah. I mean, there's, riding a lot, a car, better there's, example. there's a lot of different examples where I ride with somebody in the car and I'm like, Oh my God, this, this, this person is a, I, I'm a little bit scared, right? Sitting in the back. Um, I think I, that's a better example. Riding okay. In a car, we'll go, yeah. we'll go scratch <laughs> the last one. We'll go with this one. But the idea, the idea again with identity is, you know, I, I, there are times when I say I want to control what I do, and, and the difference is, and, 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 and again, I think where the differentiation actually happens is it, is it allows the interactions to happen almost instantly, right? And, and I say, well, of course I can, I can verify my own identity, right? I want that control. I want that mechanism. I want to be able to say well, you know, whether it's continuing education, whether it's a certificate, whether it's compliance, whether it's, um, you know, the one, I, the one we like to use, I, I mentioned some earlier, is phishing licenses, right? And, and the idea of the decentralized identity wall is interesting and, and what that actually means to me is from a product standpoint, I, and I'll take one step back to kind of explain it, um, anything that's a digital asset, right? Anything that I consider to be a personal value um, that's digital can in theory be put on a decentralized identity wallet, right? What that could actually be is my driver's license, my passport, um, fishing licenses, uh, boat license, right? Just to name a few. Could be my, uh, I got some LinkedIn certificates for like some training I did. Uh, could be my employer's ongoing education that I have to do. Maybe I work at a healthcare company or a financial company that requires I go through continuing education. Um, all these things can be put on a wallet, right? It could be a certificate. But where the real benefit then comes is it says, you know, if uh, let's say Jonathan calls up and says, hey, hey, Matt, um, actually he wouldn't call me. Um, I would get a request in my, my wallet that says, hey, you know, Jonathan's looking to verify this piece of information. I can do it, it takes 10 seconds, and I'm done. I don't have to go to the courthouse to get a birth certificate, I don't have to go down to the DMV and stand in line for an hour, right? I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot of like, lifestyle improvements, right? It's, but it's one of those things where the complexity then comes in from a product, and this gets back to the product side, is that as I do this, how do I actually manage my personal life in a, in a mobile phone wallet, like a decentralized identity wallet? Because all of a sudden, I have 200 accounts in my wallet, and how do I, you know, like oh my god, like I'm scrolling through these things and trying to figure this out. And um, so, from a product standpoint, you know, that's that's again on the blockchain side is a really interesting dynamic, a really interesting problem to solve. Because I have the power of blockchain, I have the power of decentralization, but now I just have a usability problem, right? And in fact, it's it's almost unusable. Because, you know, like, again, it's, I, I don't. It's just too much info. It's too much information. I mean, it's much easier for me to take my wallet. And I'll just say, here's my driver's license and you know, that, that type of interaction. Um, so I think those are the things from a product side that, that people are still working through. I know we, we, you know, we have UX designers, user experience designers right now that are working on this very problem today, right? Because one of the things we found out when we put out our wallet is, is we had that problem is all of a sudden you've got 50 accounts in there and you're like, oh, this is, it's too much right for the normal user, right? You'll never get that adoption because it's too complex um, you know, to solve. So I think those are, you know, those are kind of common problems today that, that people have to deal with.
0: Yeah, and that's super interesting. And, and to bring it to a current context, it's like thinking about the contactless payments, right? So you can like pay with Apple Pay. Um, I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, contactless payments makes up 2% of all transactions. So it's under two percent, actually. So as revolutionary as that is, it's, you know, people aren't really doing that. Right. And so that doesn't mean that they won't. Mm-hmm. But we're so accustomed to taking out our credit card. I have Apple Pay. I still take out my credit card. Right. So it's it's a human behavior thing. And so as a product person, you need to obviously think about what is happening now and solving the problems now, but then also solving the problems for the future. Mm -hmm. I use Elon Musk as a big example on that is he's a great person from a product perspective of not just solving like current problems, but solving future problems. Um, and that's really what we have to do as product managers in the blockchain space. Yeah. You know?
1: So the, the one of the recent examples that's been coming up and, and so continue along the lines of decentralized identity, right? And, and everyone's probably like, when are we going to talk about nodes and SEC and, and whatnot? But it's an interesting problem because I, I, the decentralized identity wallet is important for everybody in this room, whether you know it or not. And, and the reason being is that there's a, a next step that's coming probably in the next year and that's called 5G. Right, 5G will basically increase the amount of data requests hundredfold per hour, per second, whatever it may be. My car, my phone, my house, everything's going to be connected. How do I, as a user, manage all those requests for my data? Right. What are you going to do? Do you just let, you know, do I let Google manage everything? And then basically at that point, I'm just a clone, right? I'm just a, I'm just a Google bot at that point, or I Facebook bot, and, and you know, they they manage my entire life. I just kind of it's like. Um, What's that movie with the little robot, you know, the Pixar movie with the, you know, Wally, Wally, yeah. you know, it's kind of like Wally. I just ride around in my car and I don't really do anything. Um, so for me, you know, we again kind of come back. To that is you know, the, the next step of what's going to happen potentially is this idea of the, the kind of personal AI. Right. Having another a, another piece of technology adopted into your phone, for example, that controls those requests. Right. Accepts declines based on criteria that I give it. And I think one of the things that's also going to happen is that you're starting to see the kind of true you heard this term a lot a few years ago, but the true democratization of AI is actually going to happen through the decentralized identity because it, uh, start, it, be, it begins you know. to break it apart from from Azure, from Google, from, you know, Siri, you know, some of these things. And I, I would say today, I mean, Siri, Siri at this point is the closest to it. It's it's designed to live in the edge and, and to do some things. But the reality is, is none of them are democratized. They're all controlled by one company, right? In Apple, you know, Facebook, whatever it may be. Right, right? even
0: though they may try to do their best to be privately encrypted mm-hmm. or whatever,
1: it's ultimately still on a centralized server. That's right. And as part of that, so when you when you look at these requests, so the the blockchain component and why, again, this this identity decentralized identity matters is that everything at that point becomes auditable, right? It becomes verifiable. I can actually go in and look at each transaction on chain Right, and, and not to get kind of too far into the, the, the weeds here, right? But I I have that ability to verify my own personal transactions, right? It sounds again, it sounds goofy, right, that I, I say it that way, but it's something again where I have that control, right? I have that ability to do that. And um, you know, for me again, having that that auditable trail of activity is important because I can't speak for anybody in this room. I mean, but you know, there's been times where I go into my bank account I'm like, Whoa, like what's that? Like I don't know what that transaction is, right? And I have to call the bank and they're like, Well, maybe it was you know, somebody in Alabama did something, wasn't that you? And you're like, no, like that wasn't me, right? And you kind of go through. I have to submit a request, and they're like, maybe they'll give you credit back. For sure, and, right? But, it, but and that's, heaven
0: forbid it would be a bank error.
1: That's right, heaven forbid, right? And it's <laughs> and it, it's um, and that, that's a true story, by the way. That did actually happen to me, um, out in Snoqualmie, Snoqualmie, Washington, at the gas station where, um, three days later, after we bought gas, we, we checked and we're like, oh, weirdly, so it's like Walmart in Alabama, like, like yeah. what the heck is that, right? and you know, to be able to go in and verify that we couldn't verify it. We actually had to call the bank and they're like, okay, well, we'll check. And then they call back, well, we don't really, we don't really know. Right. And so Wait, was- were you in Alabama? No, of course oh, not. Okay. No. I got No, I'm in Washington. Right? Well, of course. Yeah. yeah.
0: But yeah. Alabama's a long ways, right? It's, so it, yeah. It's pretty hard to make transactions <laughs> both places at the same time.
1: That's right. Yeah.
0: One, one complaint I have about banks is, um, I think it's kind of funny how if you make a mistake, you pay like a $34 <laughs> fee, but if the bank makes a mistake like your prize is that you just get your money back that's right
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's right yeah that's right yeah, yeah begrud- exactly yeah, it's like, it's like oh it was a bank error it takes some okay
0: effort. we'll give you your money it takes back some like why don't i get a 34 dollar fee from i want to charge you a 34 dollar fee yeah and, I, <laughs>
1: and I, how many people in here have actually tried a a crypto transfer of some sort from one person to another right and i think that's um you know, a lot of people talk about Venmo, right? There's Venmo, and, and you know, from a product side, I, I tell people like one of the most interesting moments for me in the blockchain space is when I did my first crypto transfer. Where I just took some, I just wanted to experience, right? Try it for myself, and, and I, I sent somebody in China some tokens, and it took like five minutes, right? It cost nothing. And I was like, I was like, that's amazing, right? I didn't have yeah. to call anybody, I didn't have to fill out a form, I didn't, you know. And we were able to verify each other, you know, through our using our identity, right? We we could actually verify who it was, and so it was. Um, it was a really powerful thing right and this, speaking of banks right it's one of those things where um you know a lot of banks are attempting to create their own tokens right or create their own process right and i think this kind of leads into the, the the government side where again you have a very similar use case or similar problem where there's very much a control issue at this point where For sure you know you're kind of you know power to the people right with blockchain decentralized identity you know you're empowering the the people but The government's going to come back and say, well, you know, we we, we of course want our piece of that. And secondly, is, um, you know, we're losing some control. And and for a lot of people, that's um, well, a lot of challenging for sure. So a
0: lot of people don't realize that the main reason why China has a big problem with Bitcoin (laughs) is taxes. That's really what they care about the most. Right. It's like they just want to make sure that they're getting taxes on revenue. Mm -hmm. Right. And so same thing is that like really what it comes down to is making sure that the government's getting their cut. And that's just the way the world works. We don't need to complain yep. or whatever about that. This is how it is. So let, let's get let You know, why is the government care about blockchain from uh, you know a node's perspective? And um, what does that mean moving forward?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And, and, and if you think about it, it's kind of a. So i don't know how many of you know this so so the sec right which you know normally governs you know um, stock trading mutual funds those kinds of things you know recently put out a bid and they said hey we want we want somebody to come in and run you know different different chain nodes for us ethereum bitcoin zcash there's lots of different you know different tokens that they they wanted to run um, the funny part is you look at that and you say well it's all public information right bitcoin ethereum it's all public right you just basically set up your own node and say well but we're not really we're not really interested in that part, right? We just, you know, we want somebody else to run the nodes for us, right? Um, and I had the good fortune, um, our team, I should say, so we we uh, participated in the RFP that went out and, and actually had the opportunity to present and kind of showcase a, a lot of things. And, and as we went through that experience, we, we were able to ask them a lot of questions, like, you know, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? Um, and again, kind of coming back to where we somebody, you know, part of it's control, but the other part is also, you know because of the nature of cryptography and and some of the security that that goes into these these blockchains is that it's very hard to say track jonathan as he moves from exchange to exchange or token to token um and in particular what we what we found out and and um we'll, we'll erase this part of the tape what they're really looking for is to find out information on wallets right and that's really what they want you know kind of deep down so one is the wallets and then the second part is kind of the relational kind of relational networking right so once i have jonathan's wallet i can then create that map of everybody he's interacted with right and again it's you know so it's a it's a bit of a um, kind of cat and mouse game that's going on Um, but one of the things that because because of the size of bitcoin because of the size of ethereum those are the two obvious ones to start the other part of that with ethereum that that most of you may or may not know is that you know if you have access to the ethereum network you also have all the erc 20 erc tokens uh as part of that right so they have they have access now to basically everybody, right? Because the whether you, I don't know if anybody knows this, right? So Ethereum, one of the things they were really smart about is they made it really easy for people to create their own tokens, right? But the other part of that is that because they did that, anybody who can access Ethereum data can also access all of these other tokens, right? So, um, yeah, so from the government standpoint, you know, one of the things they're, they're trying to do is, is um, I think, find a way and to find this information and to be able to. I think their main focus right now is really looking at more of the nefarious activity, because in fact, there 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 is some that's happening. Right. I mean, by nature of Bitcoin and Ethereum and kind of the privacy that goes along with it, you know, you do have some bad actors. uh, But again, that that percentage is very small.
0: Yeah. uh, There's been a couple of people have talked about this, that, you know, the FBI and and certain government entities are actually um, fond of Bitcoin and um, cryptocurrency transactions because of that mapping that you're talking Mm -hmm. about. Right. You know, if if I come to someone with a duffel bag full of cash, it's going to be hard to track where that came from. Sure. Um, But if I come with my wallet and, you know, funds came into that wallet from a wallet that they already know Mm -hmm. um, is from a bad actor. Right. There's there's Mm -hmm. a lot. uh, It's it's easier to trace. Um, Mm -hmm. So when we talk about like how like this. Um, really interesting technology is, um, you know, private, it is to an extent, it's as private as people know
1: what your wallet address is, mm-hmm. right? That's right. And, um, I think one, one of the, so think about it this way, right? If you talk about this, like relational network model and, and, you know, once I have a wallet, um, so we have a, we have a, an app called token flow, right? Token flow, um, it's not a public service. It's geared for government. Uh, but the premise behind it is that. If I click on Jonathan's wallet and kind of using this you know, network model, um, I can go as many layers down as I want, basically within seconds, right? And I have the whole map for, to consume, right? And I can begin going through who all these different users are, how many tokens were sent, where was it sent, right? And it's, it's um, just ripe for, for analytics, right, and to be able to go, to do, go in and do that, and I think um, you know, as far as how how the SEC is using, it, I mean, that's kind of their primary goal. I mean, again, they're they're you know whether it's insider trading or something else, right? I mean, that's part of what they're looking at. Um, just to kind of take a sidestep, um, so I've actually had the opportunity to work on other opportunities as well. So DHS, USICs, uh, there's a lot of acronyms out there for the government. In case you didn't know that already, <laughs> um, but the interesting part, kind of to circle back around what we were talking about earlier, is that a lot of it has to do with data, and a lot of it has to do with identity, right? And, and identity being authentication. And transactional activity, right? Because, what happens, like, say, you know, again, if I'm getting going to the DMV and I'm requesting a license, right? It's it's basically a transaction, right? There's something that's occurring. Um, so, a lot of these 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 government entities are looking at, um, you know, how can someone come in and authenticate in a system and get access to a particular set of data, right? And how do I set rules around that data, right? So I can actually provide different levels of access to that data, right? So, uh, the use case being, and, and just to give you examples. Um, there's a certain um, organization that supports what they call warfighters, right? Warfighters, there's a, a certain, um, there's probably about 20 sets of different data that you can get to. Um, and based on that, it's again, it's based on the level that you have and you can go in. So using smart contracts, as an example, I can go in and set the parameters of who can access what based on that identity as they come into the system. Um, and it's interesting because for in their case, right, again, it's all auditable, it's all verifiable, and it allows them to do it in a, a secure way versus how they do it today, you know, which is, um, not great, um, you know, in and a, and a, and a different way. And, and another, this is this one is always kind of the funny one for me. And, and so how many people have to, have, have like key badges like, in this room? Like most people probably have like a badge that they use when they go in the office and they scan. So imagine the complexity of an organization, you know, that maybe works out of Washington, D.C. and they have people that travel worldwide and they go to, um, you know, different facilities, could be a base, could be, um, you know, I don't know, it could be a bunch of different places. Imagine the complexity of saying, my key card needs to work in Afghanistan when I leave Washington, D.C. So I'm gonna leave. The problem is when I leave Washington, D.C., I actually have to hand in my key card. I don't take it with me, I, hand it, I turn it in. It physically has to be turned in. And then how do I go to Afghanistan and have my credentials reissued to the appropriate clearance level that I can get to whatever services I need to do? Um, it's actually really complicated, right? There's, there, if, if you sit down with a government person and they walk you through it, you're like, I'm good, right? That's, that's good. You guys, you go ahead, right? <laughs> but the, the nice part was, and, and one of the neat things that we saw is that you know, they came in and, and one of the things they we're trying to figure out is, again, how to use blockchain to solve that problem so that you know, when I go from place to place, it's basically just a transaction on the blockchain, right? And it makes it very easy, because A, it's verifiable, but B is, again, using that identity system. I can go from here to Afghanistan to Germany, right? And very, very easily move my identity along with me, right, to, to get those credentials. So I'm assuming in that context, it's a centralized
0: blockchain for the government. I, I doubt they would want that as a public chain. It,
1: there, anybody's right. There, there's Azure, there's Azure Cloud or GovCloud, and then there's AWS GovCloud. Right? I mean, that's and that's just the reality of it. You know, you don't really have a you don't really have a choice. Right. And, um, you know, d- depending how they, they they have certain security requirements, and in some cases, they um, one of the other interesting dynamics with this particular scenario is that. You know, when you go to Afghanistan, that's all hosted locally in that facility, right? So now you're adding another another variable, another dynamic to the infrastructure side because it's AWS GovCloud, Azure GovCloud, and now I go there and it's like it's just a it's just a closet with some servers, right? I mean, you you guys all know about the bathroom server with Hillary, right? I mean, it's it's basically like that, right? And. Um, so, but again, how do you, so how do you move a, a, you know, a certain security clearance level to that particular facility, right? It's um, it's a complicated problem for the government, but again, using blockchain, using identity, it's actually not that complicated anymore, right? It actually becomes just a, a transaction that's happening on their chain. For sure. Sure. <laughs> what what are
0: some other interesting things that you think government can do with blockchain, um, you know, to, to fix even just common common governmental issues yeah. or um, or something
1: far out that we haven't yeah. thought about. So one of the one of the most interesting. So, so we just recently met with the, the, the deputy mayor of Bellevue and we are having this conversation and um, I've had this conversation a couple of times with some of the, the the governor of Washington and some of the people associated with that is that um, one of the challenges you have with blockchain is that everybody owns whatever it is that they do in the government. And they're very controlling of that. And so when you go into you know the government, you say, hey, we've got this really amazing technology, you've got developers, we've got all these things. What do you think? And the, you know, number one, they're very risk averse, because it already works, right? But number two is they own it, right? So they don't they don't you know this idea of kind of blockchain is a little bit scary. And so, you know, as we as we talked with them, um, the usual answer that usually usually came out of these conversations is how about phishing licenses? Because nobody cares about that, right? But if you go back to the idea is that a fishing license, a, it's a digital asset, can be a digital asset. It has value, and it's also something that's it's one of a kind, right? Yeah. There's there's a unique property to it. I love that, by yeah. the way, that they want the fishing
0: licenses because yeah, wh- whenever I talk with co- with companies, I'm always like, okay, what's a product that you would want to do a POC with yeah. that you don't care about? Yeah, fishing <laughs> so licenses. The government doesn't care yeah. about fishing licenses. it's
1: it's you know, so when you you know whether it's um, and I don't know how many how many of you interacted with the government, right? It's it's a bit of there's a bit of a challenge, right? That goes along with that. And I think um, you know, fishing licenses is a, is a great use case. You know, the other thing that we we we've had some conversations about recently. For another example, would be is in the government is um, often I I was mentioning one person here in the back is that say you have a device, right? So maybe at the, at the VA, and this is kind of the example we were talking about at the VA, and the VA has a device that a health practitioner uses to go you know, from room to room to record their notes. So the question came up is they say, well, I have this device, but I actually have 10 people that need to use that device during the day. It's not just one person. It's actually 10 people. So how do I create a, a mechanism for them to log in right, to that particular device, do the things they need to do, and while also, at the same time, accessing 10 different systems on the back end? Right? Um, and that was, a, again, another almost perfect use case. We say hey, it's decentralized identity, but also blockchain, because again, the, the user can go on, they can validate who they are. They can verify each transaction that they're going through, you know, as they go from room to room to room. Each one of those transactions is, is recorded on chain. The actual data itself, of course, is off chain, right? That's a lot of data you're talking about. Um, but it's an interesting use case because it's just a, it's a practical problem, right, where you know, like, you know, another example would be, I mean not talking about government you take like a Costco or Fred Myers, right? And people have these, you know, um, their point of sale terminals, right? And each day you have four or five people that use that terminal, right? It's the same, same scenario, same problem, right? Where how do I make it so um, these five people in the room can all use the same terminal, uh, but do it in a very secure and efficient manner where I don't have to change anything. It's just a little bit of software and, you know, each person can log in using their identity with each one.
0: Yeah. Very cool.
1: So I want to transition. What are some interesting things that ArcBlock's doing right now? What's on the horizon? <laughs> That's a great question. Yeah. There's, a, there's a lot of interesting things. Any, anybody who I think is in the blockchain industry, it's, um, um, there's a lot of really kind of cool innovation happening. I think the, um, the, the example I use about identity and 5G is a, is a really interesting use case, especially when you start looking at kind of AI and this, this personal AI. Um, you know, for us, there, there's kind of three things we're really focused on right now. Um, you know, one is, um, we have something called Forge Framework so Forge Framework is what it's our it's our application development platform if you will and and with the framework one of the things we're trying to do is, is um, automate a lot of the tasks um, so that from a from a developer standpoint or even from a user standpoint a lot of these things are already pre-built and um, it sounds of course not maybe not as cool to some people but in fact it's it's quite innovative right because it, it takes basically 95 percent of the work out of building a decentralized application right which is one of the challenges today but but removing all of the kind of the 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 back-end work um that's happening um so create a lot of automation um the other one that we we have a, a lot of interest in is is something what we we call ocap and ocap um it stands for Open Chain Access Protocol. So Open Chain Access Protocol, while maybe not the sexiest name at this moment, it's actually very innovative. And, and anybody, any developer here who's familiar with like ODBC, anybody? So uh, OCAP is basically the equivalent to ODBC for blockchain. And the, the premise is that you have one single unified interface that allows me to interact with 10 different blockchain data sets. And each one can be, it can be Hyperledger, uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, something else, something else. But I do it all in a very unified way and um, you know that's something we, we have been working on for a while but I think it's now becoming more more practical because in fact what's happening is the industry is becoming more multi-chain oriented. So similar to what happened with cloud and it became everybody, everybody's multi-cloud today. Uh, but five years ago everybody, I was I was AWS or I was Azure and don't mess with my Azure, right? But then what happened is people came up with some cool products and, and allowed people to really start kind of mixing and matching. Um, So so you're saying there's going to be a multi, people are going to have multi-chain philosophy? What if you think about, you know, blockchain there, I think where it's going is is there's two different sets for the traditional players, we'll call Bitcoin, Ethereum, more of the traditional Bitcoin, you know, kind of the blockchain 1.0, 2.0, they're kind of that underlying infrastructure at this point. And and I should say infrastructure, but kind of the underlying technology that provides a good baseline. So Ethereum, you know, I think they're basically use that as a validator, right? so those guys are there, whereas a lot of the new companies, so ArcBlock as an example, you know we're working a lot um, like Cosmos and Polkadot using building what they call interconnected blockchains, right? So rather than having one primary chain, you now build one chain for one purpose, right? And, and you, have, you could have 100 chains, you can have 1,000 chains, right? But each one serves a specific purpose. Um, the interesting part is if, if anybody who has been a developer for a long time, and this, uh, I'll show my age a little bit here. If anybody who's a Unix developer, um, you know, you do one thing, you do one thing well. Well, it's really the same premise behind that in terms of these, you know, I build one chain and it has one specific purpose and it does it really, really well. So rather than trying to throw everything on one big massive Ethereum world network, right? That basically has a huge scalability problem. i solve that, right? Because I say, well, I have my one chain and I can design it to work however I want. Uh, and I, we, we always kind of use the example of, you know, if you look at transportation, it's like, you know, if I needed to go to the grocery store, why would I need to go get on the highway you know, and then go around and you know, do something else. And it's like a very convoluted, right? Where, why wouldn't I just design a road to go straight to the, high, you know, straight to the store, right? Because I have the ability to use, I can do, use airplanes, I can use boats, I can use cars, right? And that's a, this, this new interconnected blockchain world is, is unique because it really allows you to design the blockchains to do what you want and to scale them as big as you need them to be. Um, so it's solving a lot of problems. And I think today the, the, there was a, um, everyone in our company, there was a lot of laughing going on, which this might be a bit nerdy. But um, uh, Ethereum, one of Ethereum's founders, um, you know, he, he said, hey, why don't we use Bitcoin cash as our to solve our scalability problem for the short term, right? And everybody's like, what? Like, that doesn't. Yeah, anyways, that's, you yeah. everybody probably hates that joke. It was pretty funny, though. I for a lot of people in our company, it was funny, right? Because you're like, you know, they're, they're basically two of the, the arch nemesis. Like, why don't we use this? Because so yesterday, Ethereum, their, their founder said, you know, basically, Ethereum is full. Like, there is no scale, right, at this point. And uh, anybody who's done like Ethereum transfers knows it, it takes forever to like transfer tokens or to do anything. And you know the the joke I tell people: so if you take Artbox Network and you, you say, hey, I can go, I'll get a, a server on DigitalOcean. It's about fifteen dollars a month. I can get more TPS than I can on the entire Ethereum network at this point, right? And so it's like it doesn't Ethereum doesn't really make sense, right? And you have a lot of developers building on Ethereum, but you can't really do anything, right? And it's kind of that it comes back to that product and practicality standpoint is that it's not usable at this point.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I talk about a lot with different people and and clients, it's when you're thinking about your product or your blockchain strategy, often you're thinking about how that works at the blockchain level Mm -hmm. that might not exist yet. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're you're, you're building for a future that doesn't necessarily, or you're planning for a future that doesn't necessarily exist yet, but will be there.
1: Yeah. Is, it, is anybody here planning on building a blockchain product? Anybody? Yeah, that's great. It's, it's one of those things where I think anybody who's not looking at blockchain is missing out already because it's like the anybody standing on a train track and you look at the train coming at you, it's, it's like that. It's coming. And uh, again, like cloud was 10 years ago. Like it's something that just happened, right? And, and you're either in the game or you're out of the game. And the people who didn't get in the game are, you know, I, you know, I kind of use IBM. I mean, IBM's been trying to catch up ever since, right? Where you look at Azure and AWS are so far ahead of you know, where like an IBM is, because yeah. that's why they just spent, what, $34 billion on Red Hat, because they're trying to catch up, right? On the cloud so, side. And I think you know, blockchain is, they're, they're, it's, it's basically the same scenario playing out again, um, where it's a technology I really, it's not, it's not for everything. I think one of the, the <coughs> misnomers are, you know one of the things we, we frequently sit down and tell people is like, have you thought about a database? You know, and it's you know most people are like, well, we want we want these. I think these two guys get it, but the the question to me is that not everything goes on a blockchain. Number one, but number two is that, you know, there are some unique differences, and in fact, you know, with ArcBlock's platform as an example, you can actually use a database to build on the platform. You don't even have to use a, a custom blockchain uh, to do that. So it's an interesting use case, and I, I think that's um, you know that's something that every company has to sit down and ask the question like, can I do this on a database? And you know, there are there are a lot of times where we have customers come in and we have that discussion, say like. Yeah, just use a database. Like, what are you doing? Like, it's it's that doesn't even make any sense, right? Sure. And, and I think that's, you know, that's the question again from the product side, where you say, <laughs> yeah, from a product side, I say, well, I, I 100% want blockchain because I want that name in my product because it'll sell, right? Or if I'm selling to company A, company B, I know that they'll buy it if it says blockchain. But if it says, you know, uh, you know, Postgres or something else, they're like, yeah, I'm good. I don't want that, right?
0: I know two founders who both sold their companies and they both admitted that putting the word blockchain or articulating blockchain, even though they were very, very early on that, is what led to them being acquired.
1: Yeah. 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 It's very true.
0: Well with that, I'd love to open it up to questions from anybody here in the audience. Uh, Since we are recording, I wanna make sure that we we get you so we can do two things. Either we can repeat your question, or if you wanna come up here real quick, I can turn the mic to you and I can get out of the seat and you can just ask the question right into the microphone.
1: Yeah, join join me, come on, have, have, have a seat.
2: Well, I'd like to know what you th- your thoughts are about, you talked about decentralized wallets and how, you know, it'd be great to not have to be able to call the bank to um, get your identity back, you know, if you lose your credit card or whatever. Now, th- this opens up some, some challenges for the user, such as personal responsibility. And I was wondering if you could talk about the requirements of personal responsibility in managing decentralization and crypto assets. Sure.
1: So it's a, great, it's, a, it's a great question. And um, I think the more, the more responsibility you put on people, the, the more, you know, I, I think it's one of those things where I think what we found is, is people quickly adapt to it you know, once they actually see it. And so from the decentralized identity wallet, a couple of things that we did. So anybody who's used anybody, huh, I don't know if I are there any crypto holders in here? Like Meta, MetaMask, anybody? So does anybody hear like mnemonic phrases? Yeah, which uh, <laughs> yeah. So one of the, one of the things we, we, we said really for the for the average user, um, something like that it doesn't even make any sense. Like what what's a mnemonic phrase? Like why do I even care? Like I'm just used to username and passwords, right? So from a decentralized identity, wall, one of the things we want to do is one is to solve the kind of what I call the mnemonic phrase problem, right? Make it very easy to sign up, to sign in, create my identity. But the other part is also create a lot of protections for people so that despite you know like if I want to move a phone or you know, like say like you know, how many of us upgrade phones every year? Well, most of us probably. Like, I get a new iPhone every year or every other year. Um, how e- how portable is it, right? How easy is it to move from device to device? Or um, what happens when I lose my I drop my phone in the river, right? How do I recover my data? And so, there's a lot of built-in safeguards that we put in there, um, assuming people will lose it, right? It's so anybody in the infrastructure world, right? You you always assume. Um, you know, I think from an infrastructure side, like it's not it's not how can I keep myself from getting hacked? It's more of like, what happens when I do get hacked, right? And identity is the same thing, or with blockchain. Um, so the power blockchain one is that you, there's a lot of public data. So once it's on the chain, it's there, right? It exists, um, and so we leverage that. But then the other part is also creating the mechanisms in the back end to make sure that, should I lose my wallet, should I lose my device, right? There, there are things there to help people recover it. Uh, versus just a straight out like, eh, you're, you know, sorry, you're in trouble, right? Because the minute you say, if I'm in fact storing my passport or my driver's license or something else, right, it becomes critically more important right, to be able to, to leverage that. And so you know, then there, it becomes a balance. And, and you know, this is where, from a product standpoint, you get into the question like, do I allow people to do iCloud backups, as an example? Or do I allow people to up onto OneDrive or any of these other things? Um, so that's, a, again, a, it's a design question, right, a product question. And I think you know, every company will be a little bit different because, again, at the end of the day, it's about the user, it's not about the product. Um, and so it's a—it's always a, an important evaluation as you go through that to make sure that, you know, I—I I, I often will tell people like, I mean, yeah, 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 this 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 product sounds amazing, but it sounds really horrible for users, right? So you know, it's never gonna—no one will ever use it, right? Because it's—it's it's complex, it's difficult to do. All right, you know, if I lose if I lose my data, it's gone forever, right? That's a it's, that's a problem, right? So we have a responsibility to create the mechanisms, but the secondly, is also. Um, leveraging certain technologies that are there to help people i think protect themselves um, and you know iCloud being one yeah, i mean a that's a pretty common example because i think most people in this room probably use you know iCloud OneDrive or Google Drive either professionally or personally right to back up pictures i mean like what would happen like oh my god if i if i lost all my family photos that are on OneDrive i that would be uh, i i would be pretty sad right so yeah i mean it's that's that's a tough question but so a great
2: question. Do you see distributed, um, then like yeah, using distributed services then as a way
1: to mitigate that challenge? Sure, every, every, everything about, uh, our, so ArcBlock services, you know, so distributed architecture is one of the things we, we leverage from, have leveraged from day one. So not to get really into the weeds, right, but we use, um, so originally when we built the platform, we used a uh, program language called Erlang. Um, so a lot of what we initially did was built on Erlang, which um, it's pr- a perfect, perfect language for blockchain. Um, and then from that we've we've begin to scalp it, but, but the premise behind that is it 's set up for distributed systems right that 's really one of the benefits and powers of Erlang is that it's it's designed for that so the assumption is yes of course yeah
2: how do you guys evaluate your of the attack vectors in your softwares like as you're coming up with these ideas like how do you like do you think about like let's imagine you know this this user in in like country like India, let's say they don't have property. They have no real secure way to store a mnemonic phrase, for example, like how do we protect this most vulnerable user of our platform?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. It's um, one of the one of the things we try to do, and, and, and I can just speak from the product side. I mean, one of the things we, we, we often try to do, and this is very much on the blockchain, the usability side of blockchain is that um, simplifying it all the way down to kind of its bare bones um, so that people can really leverage the technology and use the technology. So whether you're in Africa, whether you're in India or something else, right? You can you have the ability to do that because the reality is, is that blockchain as a whole or the technology, in fact, for, for third world countries is, is really powerful. Right, because it allows them to, you know, to get their food, to interact, to get money, you know, all the things that they, they might actually need to do. And so, in a lot of ways, there's more benefit to those countries or to those people than there is to to me. Right, I have first world problems. I you know I deal with different things, but to someone where you know that's that's the lifeblood. It's um, you know, I think we, we we design for that in mind. And um, again, I, I always kind of use the example is that you know any application we build, like can my mom use it? Can my dad use it? Can my brother use it? Can your wife use it? Uh, Because those are the people we're actually designing for and building products for because, you know, at the end of the day, right now blockchain is all about the early adopters, but the rest of the people are coming, right? They're all coming, right? And so building products that actually work for normal, I shouldn't say it scratch this part out, normal people, right, but it's something where, you know, we, as you're building these these blockchain enabled services, so again, whether it's an application, whether it's a wallet, um, you know, whether it's a, you know, gas station, right, these things, they have to be easy to use, right, and I think that's one of the challenges you have with blockchain is it's it, it still is pretty complicated, right, and there's a lot of days I sit in the room, I listen to the engineers, so I'm like, yeah, oh, this, is, this is pretty complicated stuff. And not only is it complicated, it's really hard to explain to people right, what it actually is doing. And so again, we're trying to solve those problems. And that's where arc blocking again, kind of coming back to what we do is that we look at it end to end. So it's not just the developer side, the engineering side, the product side, but it's actually the end user side. Right? And how does the end user actually interact with the application? Right? So whether it's an identity wallet, whether it's an app, whether it's a ticketing system, um, again, making it so that you know, I'll say ninety-eight percent of the users can use it, right? There's always gonna be two percent, mm-hmm. right?
2: Do you so. guys, do you guys implement any multi-signature stuff in your technology?
1: Sure, sure. So, so one of the things that, so with smart contracts, which is Ethereum, right? We we have something called transaction protocols, right? But the idea is that um, one of the things you want to do is like say, you, for example, I have like a multi-party transaction that's happening, right? And it requires multiple signatures. Um, so having that ability to leverage, you know, not just one signature, two signatures. Uh, but going beyond just the the single interaction. And I think that's um, something that we're all going to see more of. So I think in the future too, like mortgages, um, you'll start to see a lot more when I buy a car, like all sorts of things. But it'll be essentially what they call multi-signature, right? Where you have multiple parties in this, this transaction, right? Leveraging that. Thanks for your time, man. Yeah. So thanks very much, everybody.
0: Thank you. Thank you for listening to the TF Blockchain Podcast. Please make sure to subscribe and also follow us on social media for announcements on upcoming conferences, events, recordings, and news. Please review and rank our podcast so we can continue to spread awareness of blockchain, Bitcoin, and crypto. Thanks again for listening. Keep learning, keep growing, and keep building.